0: brought to you by lifetree at jesuscenteredlife.com so here we are the Becky Nader and Rick are back together again after the holiday break we had a couple of uh, episodes two or three episodes that were sort of what you call vintage episodes is, yeah. that, is that the right word is They vintage? were vintage yeah we added we added something new to something old which Jesus said you're not supposed to do <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> then it'll rip apart the old, but I don't I don't think we ripped apart the vintage episodes that we no, played. No,
1: vintage yeah. means that it got better with age.
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah it, so, got, yeah, it
1: got cooler.
0: That's excellent. Well, in any case, we're excited to be back together in the new year. We hope you enjoyed those episodes. Becky and I listened to those episodes in order to kind of give some bookends to them when we re-release them, and Wow, I, I really loved listening to those yeah. old episodes. It seems odd to say, I loved listening to myself, but that, is, that is the strangeness of, of a podcast. Even if it's you on the podcast, you strangely can still learn from it. It's so, true. I don't understand that dynamic, but it happened. Uh, if you're a new listener joining us, my name is Rick Lawrence. I'm author of The Jesus-Centered Life, and I'm general editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible, Which is now into its third year of release, and it's still among the most popular study Bibles in the world. It is every time somebody encounters this Bible, they go, "Wow, I've never seen a Bible like that before." And uh, um, I've had so many stories over the last few years of people who have had their Bible reading experience transformed by getting this Bible. It's not, uh, you know, it's it's not an overpacked. Bible full of overpacked stuff. It's a simple Bible, but it, the features that we have put in it are really uh, compelling and unlike in any other Bible that's out there, and all, of course, designed to draw you into a greater intimacy with Jesus as you read. So I also have a book upcoming in April that we've talked about already this last year. Becky is now pounding the table. God only knows what that sounds like on the recording. But Hopefully she it was... sounded
1: like a drum roll.
0: Yeah. Brrr. She's not we exactly... have a new book coming out. She's not exactly Bobby McFerrin. If using only herself to make all the noises, but she that was pretty good. Yeah. So this book is called Spiritual Grit. It'll be out in April. And uh, those that I work with know that this has been like, the epic journey of my life to write this book. I actually finished it in set on September 1st when it was supposed to be in. A week later, I met with the editor here, and she did something she's never done before, especially with me. She said, um, "Start over." I think you might have to start over, which, if you've just spent a year writing a book, that's not a good thing. <laughs> So it's a long story, an interesting story that we'll tell little snippets uh, between now and April, we'll tell some snippets about the story itself of how this book came to be. But
1: If you are not following us on Facebook or Instagram, so on Facebook where we're called Jesus Centered Life, on Instagram we're called A Jesus Life, and follow us because I am going to be starting uh, sneaking out little quotes from uh, Spiritual Grit starting in a couple of weeks now. And um, if you're in our private Facebook group for this podcast called The Pigs, um, I already shared some of those memes as a special little treat
0: before so, Christmas. So we're going to use the the kind of the themes in Spiritual Grit this year to really focus in on grit in our lives. And this is not simply a like a sideline topic to our life with Jesus grit and perseverance and determination in our relationship with him and in what he's called us to do are actually central to our mission. It's not as if we've been plunked down in Mayberry here. We're actually, we have a mission to join Jesus in his mission, which is to set captives free, and we're doing it in the middle of a war. The Bible makes it clear that we've been plunked down into the middle of a, a dark place, Uh, It doesn't mean that there's not hope and laughter and joy. Of course, there is. That's what's evidence of our ultimate security in Him. But the Bible makes it clear that we have a mission, and the mission is going to be carried out in the midst of war. And of course, we need grit, actually, more grit than we have, to live our lives and to follow His leading in our lives. And that's what spiritual grit is all about. And we'll get into that a little bit in more detail a bit later. But Because we're focusing on grit this year, and we're going to kind of attach and go after this in many, many different ways, when we think about grit as the year starts off, um, it's easy for our minds to immediately go to things like resetting our fitness regimen and starting to eat better and maybe getting our finances in order and maybe uh, taking assessment of where our important relationships are at, like our marriage and others and recommitting to those, and all of this kind of excuse to kind of reset our life. That's what's happening right now. Um, The thing is, though, with all of those resets, they all require grit. They all require something, a strength that's at our core. And it's almost a cliche now that we start out with uh, the highest hopes— and our grit, we find out, is actually not a deep well; it's more like a shallow bucket, <laughs> and and we we just don't have enough to keep going in in our best case scenarios. So, you know, you you uh, you might buy a, a planner to get you going, or might set a bucket list or a list of goals, or uh, even make a vow that you are going to do this or that this year. But it's amazing how quickly we sort of hit a wall. So this morning, I was I had to. Leave my house early this morning to go get some milk because we had run out. Because my college daughter Lucy is home, and now I forget exactly how much food she eats <laughs> when she's at home. So we ran out of milk. So I went to the uh, this corner store that uh, is a gas station and sells milk and stuff. And I'm about to turn into the the station there, and I see across the street these two, I'd say middle aged women in jogging suits. Were they matching? I, they were. That's,
1: <laughs> That's why I, I'm like
0: I kind of did a double take. I'm like, wow, I've maybe been transported back to the 70s because they were matching. They they were they were jogging suits. Were they like velour? They could have been. Or I, I were felt... they
1: more like that 70s kind of like material?
0: They could have been. That was like it, polyester it, with it's like a, white stripes. It, it's a little awkward as a guy to s- stop in the middle of the street and stare in, at these two women to see if they're. Jogging suits were velours, so I didn't do that. That's but
1: probably a good idea. Thank you.
0: So they were also walking a dog. And so uh, they, they were walking, but as soon as I started to turn into the station, they started running again. And I realized, oh, they had been running, and then they stopped, and now they're starting running again. And the first thought I had is, oh, this isn't going to last, last very long. <laughs> now, th- that sounds like cynical, but I, I just I identified with the emotion of the moment. Like, I could tell... Oh, we had vowed we're going to run this year. So let's let's get out there on a you know Wednesday morning when it's 10 degrees in Denver and let's run with our dog. And oh, we didn't make it very far. You know
1: what is totally <laughs> unfair is that January is like the annual reset month and it is the middle of winter. It is 10 degrees outside, it's dark early in the morning, it's dark until like 7 a.m and we're supposed to get up at 5 go to the gym and eat cold salads with frisee and you know grilled chicken and a lemon vinaigrette and pomegranate seeds when Excuse all we really me? want is goulash and goulash. chicken pot pie
0: <laughs> so i have to know what before we go any further what frisee is
1: it's like this light lettuce that's like Oh, I a light lettuce. Yeah, you it's mean, a really Regular light. lettuce
0: isn't light enough <laughs> to go. Lightly.
1: It's like this. It's it's more like a weed. It's like a a <laughs> lettuce that like looks like a weed and kind of tastes like a weed. But it's in like di- It's like a diet fad lettuce right now because I think it's higher in fiber or something.
0: I can't imagine why that's not appealing even to those listening a now. A cold
1: salad with frise <laughs> and a lemon vinaigrette instead of chicken pot pie or. You know biscuits.
0: So if we boil this down, though, too, I mean, I'm thinking about these women running too. I'm just imagining this, obviously, but it's for me, it's reasonable to imagine this because I've been in their shoes before. I'm just imagining them thinking um, the idea of running seemed really good until I actually started. Until I actually started running, yeah. And now when I'm actually running, I'm realizing, oh, I hate running. Or now when I'm actually eating the salad that has frisé in it. I actually realize, oh, I hate this frise. This
1: tastes like weeds yes. that I'm eating right now. Oh,
0: by the way, I, I heard on a podcast it actually is weeds. <laughs> 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 That's why it tastes like weeds. So these things that we do, well, all of these resets are, uh, uh, I mean, the dirty little secret underlying it is I'm going to push through with these things that I hate because the things that I hate are better for me. So I know I'm supposed to do that, so I'm just going to tamp down my hatred for these things, and I'm going to grip my teeth and close my eyes, and I'm going to do it. By God, this I'm going to do gonna it. This is going to
1: be my year. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, but, and the things that get in our way are the things that we're, I guess you could say we're addicted to, are our default settings, our patterns of behavior, the fact that you're starting something new that requires quite a bit of strength to persevere in means that you're likely to be tempted to go back to your default setting, whatever that was. Because we don't really like change. Even we complain about things all the time, but the the strength and perseverance, the patience that it takes to do these things really throws us off guard. So... It, and what we try to do is overcome these default settings in ourselves, overcome these sort of buried addictions that we have to things. And we were, Becky and I were talking about this before, some people who've been sort of addicted in a very destructive way to something, like to drugs or alcohol, sometimes I, I know a guy who's, who was addicted to drugs, and his solution to that ultimately, after it just kind of destroyed his life, was to become addicted to fitness. So he traded one addiction for another addiction, and um, I remember my, I was talking with my friend Tom Melton several years ago, and I just offhandedly said something about being addicted to Jesus, and he stopped and said, actually, it's not a good thing to be addicted to anything, including Jesus. And it was in- interesting that he stopped me and pointed that out, because what he said was, addiction implies captivity, and captivity is what Jesus came to set us free from, He does not want us to be addicted to him. He wants us to be free to choose to love him in an intimate relationship. That's what he came for, is to set us free so that we could enter into an intimate relationship with him with our whole heart, not because we have no control over ourselves doing that. So addiction in any form is not a good thing. It's the opposite of what Jesus came to bring to us, which is a life of freedom. So... Uh, trading one addiction for uh, what looks like a positive addiction, I guess on the surface is a positive thing, but ultimately it's not what not what Jesus really wants for us.
1: Well, and I, I think that it's rooted back into this idea that we are going to be able to change everything ourselves. That we are, you know, if we're we're either going to live a dependent life, or we're on on Jesus, or we're going to live a dependent life on ourself, and so a lot of that is part of this time of year is that we have to muscle up a whole bunch of, um, strength for ourselves. And I, of course, went to the world of the internet, to various
0: places. Is the internet a world?
1: It's a world. Oh, all right. It's a place, I think. I tried to explain this to my grandmother, and she could just, that's the exact same question she never could get past. Like, where is the internet? She kept saying. Becky, where is the internet? I'm like, it's, I don't know. It was
0: birthed in Al I Gore's head.
1: I couldn't i couldn't explain it. So, you know, one of the things that's really big right now is about changing your routine. So they, they say that if you can change your routine, particularly your routine you do in the morning, that you can change everything in your life, that your life as you know it today will change if you can do everything about the morning differently. So I was very interested in this idea of morning routines. And I actually found an entire website that was actually successful CEO, women and men who shared what their morning routines were so that you could learn, oh, if I have their routine, then I could be like as famous and successful as them. So I thought maybe I would share one that I thought was particularly interesting. Can't we? So here's the morning routine. Okay. And again, if you can change your morning routine, you can change your whole life, they say. Uh, so first of all, it's a very important that you wake up naturally, but by 5.45 a.m. So don't use an alarm clock. Wake up naturally. But- by, make sure
0: it's 5:45. By
1: 5:45 a.m., so then you go downstairs, you or you know, to your kitchen. You want to make a lukewarm water with fresh lemon and grated ginger, and sip it slowly. Um, what this is going to do is it's going to start waking up your digestive system. Um, and while you're doing that, you're going to do some gentle yoga, followed by 10 minutes of meditation. You're going to spend some time on your skin. You know, your skin has to wake up, apparently. I spend so,
0: every waking moment on my skin.
1: Yeah, you it has Wait to wake minute. up. If you go Maybe if we're you not go talking about the same thing here, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to want to go back to the kitchen now and make okay. a, a fresh spritzer of chilled cucumber and lemon water. To spritz on your face, that will help wake up your skin.
0: Doesn't lemon water, isn't that acidic? Like if you're spraying it on your face, you're spraying like well, we're acid are your it eyes? Up. we're waking Bro, I, I it up. I would definitely wake up with acid on my yeah, eyeballs. Yeah, maybe don't
1: open your eyes while you're doing this. Like spritz it with your eyes
0: closed. <laughs> All right.
1: So then you're going to want to take time on your hair and makeup. And I know, Rick, you spend a lot of time on your hair and makeup.
0: Thank you for noticing.
1: But while you're doing this, you're going to want to listen to a podcast because it's really important to get our brains to wake up. You're going to be more alert and ready for your day. After that, you're going to go make your bed. Um, Then this is really important. You want to spend at least one minute brushing each of your teeth. So
0: Let's pause just here for a second and do the the math.
1: 32 minutes brushing your teeth.
0: (laughs) Uh, When uh, Becky uh, threw that one out earlier today, the one minute for every tooth, I thought, (laughs) now if my wife, if I passed by her spending one minute brushing every tooth, what would be going through my head? I'd be thinking, hmm... Maybe I need to make a counseling appointment for her.
1: (laughs) She would have really clean teeth, though. Or no teeth. Or no teeth. (laughs) So now if you have children, it's really important that you wake each of them gently and just spend a few minutes talking with them. So hopefully you have one child. um, And you don't have teenagers because
0: (laughs) teenagers... Will not talk when they first get up, gentle or otherwise. Or
1: toddlers. Toddlers the, tend to not want to just sit and talk either.
0: Teenagers, teenagers in the morning. They Very similar they, toddlers they, and teenagers. They grunt like a man who's had a drunken bender the night before and has just woken up. They just grunt their way through the first half hour of the morning.
1: So while you're, at, you're having this gentle few-minute conversation with your child, it's important to ask each of them what they want for breakfast and what they want in their whole fruit smoothie. And then you should go two, down.
0: That's two things. Breakfast plus a smoothie. Because this yes. is like a hobbit family. They, take, like, they have should, like multiple breakfasts. The whole
1: breakfasts. family takes their smoothies with them and drinks oh, them on their way to the school or work. I see. Then you make your family a fresh breakfast and their whole food smoothie. So if one child wants pancakes and the other one wants French toast, you have to make both. You make it. Sunny side up, scrambled eggs, you but, make it all.
0: Because by gosh, these kids get what they want. That's <laughs> so what I'm <we're> saying then,
1: <laughs> So then you get everyone to school and, and yourself to work probably by noon.
0: Noon it sounds optimistic. <laughs> because
1: I feel like from 5.45 a.m. to do all of this, I mean, it would probably be noon. So
0: what's interesting is that you said these are like— Oh, the, and we the, didn't
1: go to the gym, so I don't know when that happens.
0: Oh, that has to happen sometime. Probably spin we're only, happens We're before. only like showing up at work you so far. You go to
1: spin class between all of these <laughs> yeah. things. So but,
0: this, you, but wait this a minute so the, you said you said this was like from celebrities and famous people and it's yes like I which, will
1: share the website
0: okay this it's like which comes first, the chicken or the egg, so you almost have to be a movie star to have this kind of schedule.
1: Oh, I also didn't mention that because I felt like this was a little too unrealistic, but um the one where the woman sends her kids off to school it's actually in their own um private cars <laughs> like a driver comes and picks up oh a up driver each.
0: like not Uber, but just no
1: like they have a driver for a each service. of their children. And for themselves, a so they don't even have to drive. So a car service seemed a little unrealistic. You probably it, have it, to drive your kids to school and yourself to yeah. work. There so. might
0: be a little <laughs> bit of a gap between uh, the reality of a celebrity and the reality of the 90s <laughs> These were not celebrities;
1: these were CEOs of companies.
0: Oh well, there were no
1: Gwyneth Paltrow's in this. this list. In
0: this culture, that's the same thing. CLs okay. are, are also. Apparently. So when you think about this stuff, I mean, we're joking about it, but peop- this was actually posted in a serious way. It's it like- was
1: posted as their real life.
0: <laughs> so, the, and, and there's lots of these kinds of things out there that say, this is how you need to do it if you want to change your life. And if you think about what's behind all of this stuff, this frenzy of activity, especially this time of year, why are we so dead set on making these huge sweeping changes? And the conclusion that you have to reach is that we're unsettled with where we are now, and we want change and transformation, and we want the promise of something that has what, we, what you call in the business world ROI, your, a return on your investment. So these, these kinds of turnkey kinds of practices and habits promise ROI. If you'll do this, invest this, here's the outcome you'll get. The problem is the investment. It's like asking somebody, you know, if, if you uh, want to retire with $2 million in your 401k, you're going to need to invest, you know, about uh, 12, 14% of your salary every paycheck in order to make that happen for the 35, 40 years of your working life. And that all sounds fantastic. Except and then your
1: car breaks down.
0: Right. And the average person doesn't have twelve or fourteen percent to invest in that way. So so it it just sounds unbelievably difficult to do even the basics, to to meet the lowest bar possible with this. And then we get into this cycle then of self recrimination and you know, I had high hopes, but look how quickly I stopped. Oh, it's not even worth it. It, I, I, if I can't even do this for two, two or three weeks, then what hope do I have for anything? We become sort of defeatist, and in my case, I remember when I was 45 pounds overweight, and for many years knew that that was not a healthy thing. And I tried many times to, you know, kind of start good new habits, and I quickly ran out of perseverance and strength. And I'm a pretty perseverant person. I've had a a deadline job my entire life where I have to meet deadlines under pressure and under tension, and I've had to do a lot of hard things in my life, but there's there's so many things that I just didn't have enough oomph to muscle through. And then the interior cycle begins, the interior narrative begins, that for me was full of guilt and shame and, uh, and negative uh, stuff about myself. And it just starts a cycle that actually undermines your ability to meet the challenges you have.
1: You know, I think that behind all of this, what what is happening is we're looking at our lives and we're looking down the road. You know, you talked about ROI and you're saying, well, if I keep at this pace, if I keep doing what I'm doing right now in two years or in five years or in 10 years, I'm not going to be any closer to where I want to be. And so obviously i have to change what i'm doing otherwise i'm not going to get to be where i want to be and so that's that's the bottom line of what we're talking about here is that we're disappointed we're dissatisfied we're fearful about our future we might feel ashamed about how did i even get here how did it get so bad i really need to get back on track and so this time of year is really tricky because if you're on any kind of social media you're being served ads about self-improvement, self-discipline, programs, solutions um, to changing your life. And maybe that's in your marriage. Maybe that's in your career. Maybe that's um, in your diet program or your exercise program. But either way, you're you're feeling dissatisfied. You're not feeling like your life is where you want it to be.
0: You know, and driving up here, every, every time I drive up here to our, our headquarters here in Loveland, I pass a huge um, billboard just outside of Denver that I, I think it's really—it always makes me laugh a little bit, and I think it's true. It's an ad for a bank, and it says on one side, easy business success, and it's like the, the title of a book on one side of it, easy business success, and on the other side of the billboard it says, is an oxymoron. <laughs> and I just love that because it sort of typifies what we're talking about right now. The promise of a, a much valued and desired outcome, I, I want to have business success, but I want it to be easy. And th- that's the dichotomy that lives within us, and the reality is on the other side of that billboard, that's an oxymoron. There is no easy business success. We all know that business success comes from really hard work, and that's true of really any change. All of these changes require significant strength. To to implement and where does the strength come from? So this is one of the this is the primary theme in this book that I wrote called Spiritual Grit. I want to read a little portion from the introduction to the book, just to kind of set the stage for where we're going to take this conversation. The idea here is that there's a lot of research out there on grit right now, examining its importance and its role in success in life and in academics and in um, all kinds of pursuits. That people who are gritty, who have a kind of a, a deep determination um, that allows them to persevere through failure and disappointment and keep at it, they, they've discovered that that, that aspect of, of who we are as people is hugely important. More important than your IQ, more important than your schooling, more important than your background. Grit leads to success in a variety of areas. What interested me in all this research is that there are some things buried in the research that weren't, haven't really been explored very much for some obvious reasons, and one of them is in order to have uh, this reservoir of grit that you need, you have to have a passion for something higher than yourself. And the researchers don't talk a lot about how to develop a passion for something higher than yourself. It's almost like you have to just find one. And if you think about our our relationship with Jesus, an intimate relationship with Jesus, the, th- the very core thing we were created to for uh, by God, to be in intimate relationship with him, there is nothing higher than a passion for God. There's nothing higher than a, a, a living, everyday passion for Jesus. That offers the deepest well uh, that we can experience as human beings. So that was one thing that, that struck me about this research that I wanted to pursue. Um, how do you develop passion for Jesus, not just an, an affinity for Christianity, for instance, but a passion that has conquered your heart for him? How, how does that develop in a person? So that's one part of it. But the other part is, the grit researchers didn't have much to say about how to actually grow grit in people. They could observe it in people, they didn't know how to actually grow it in people. And, and I think there's a reason for that as well, because to grow grit in a person, the way for instance, Jesus has grown grit in me, takes a lot of risk, and there's a lot on the line. It, it involves introducing hardships into my life, or allowing hardships into my life, and him taking those hardships and tough things and challenges and failures and things that are hard to persevere in, and sort of taking me through a training regimen to actually grow my strength. And as I'm more attached and dependent to him, he shares his strength with me so that these challenges that seem impossible are suddenly possible, because I'm also accessing his strength. Because as I said before, my own reservoir of grit and perseverance, I like to think of it as a deep well, but it's actually more like a shallow bucket. So when you get to the end of your shallow bucket of grit, where do you go then if you still need perseverance? That's when we start to look toward our passion for something higher than ourselves, and to access the strength that is outside of ourselves. So to explain the difference between this sort of our natural grit and what I'm calling spiritual grit, I towards the end of the writing process of this book when I had I I had I have 13 versions of this book by the way in a digital folder on my computer. That's about 12 more than you're supposed to have. <laughs> Especially if you've written as many books as I have. So again, there's a long story behind that, but I was at a point at which I felt helpless to clearly explain the difference between our conventional grit and spiritual grit at one point. I had tried and tried and tried to find the right metaphor, the right words, and it just I still felt an unrest, a dissonance but that I hadn't done it. And then I heard the pastor at my church, in a kind of almost an offhand way, reference a story that the light bulb went off in me. So let me read you this portion from the Introduction to Spiritual Grit, and it'll make sense as I get to the end of this. In the Sinai wilderness, a sheepherder named Moses is minding his own business when an odd sight stops him in his tracks. Flames are engulfing a bush, but the bush doesn't appear to burn. And he mutters, oh, this is amazing. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Well, as he draws near, a voice tells him to stop and take his sandals off because he's in the holy presence of God. Well, cowering, Moses buries his face in his hands as Yahweh lays out his massive and improbable plan to free millions of enslaved Israelites from captivity in Egypt. Now, the strategy, Moses discovers, will require him to spearhead this boondoggle. Well, the bush voice describes the most daunting special forces mission in history, as if it were a quick trip to the grocery store. Here's what God says to him. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And Moses, just as you and I would likely do, reacts to this impossible request with despair. He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Well, who am I, obviously, is shorthand for are you kidding me? I don't have what it takes to do what you're asking me to do. You got the wrong guy, because this is way over my head. And here's God's pragmatic response to this protest. It's, it's ridiculously blunt. I will be with you. So, no, Moses does not have the grit to persevere and succeed in this impossible mission alone. But yes, he will succeed anyway, because God will give him what he needs most— his own determined strength to keep pushing against all odds. My friend Scotty Priest, a pastor and church planner, reveals what's really going on in this burning bush encounter and in our own impossible challenges. He said, ever have someone tell you that God will never give you more than you can handle? Well, that's not true. God will give you more than you can handle, but not more than you can handle together with him. So that's the premise here, that We have lots of impossible challenges in our life. They're not just resetting our life. There's other things that enter into our life that we have no control over, that we have to persevere through. And the fear that, Becky, you were talking about before, that I think the deepest fear we have is that we won't have enough. We are not enough to face what we have to face. I know this is the chief fear of men in general, that I am not enough to face the challenges that I have in life. It's an unspoken fear, but I was at a men's retreat Um, not too long ago, where the leader asked men to write on a piece of paper a lie that they believe about themselves, and the top thing that men wrote was, I am not enough as a man. Um, And I I think it's universal, and I think some version of that is also true for women, that we just don't believe we're going to have what we need to have to face these things. And in some ways, that's actually true. We don't have enough. And and then what do we do? What do we turn to when we recognize we don't have enough to face this? And in this case with Moses, he quickly realizes, you have got to be kidding me. I, you, you can't expect me to do what you just said in two sentences, God. And God's saying to him, his answer to that is, oh, but Moses, I will be with you. He's not promising a, a pat on the back. Oh, I'm going to be standing there on the sidelines encouraging you, Moses. No, he's saying... I'm going to give you what I have. You're not doing this alone. So access what I have through intimate relationship. Let's do this together, Moses. And that's, that's really what Jesus is asking of us as well as we think about these big challenges in our life, these reset buttons that we have to make. He's not saying, summon up the strength that you need to do this. He's saying, hey, let's do this together.
1: You may not be uh, Moses, and you may not be asked to go before this terrible leader um, and put your life on the line, but you probably feel like just the the simple things are impossible. You may feel like, I am not loving enough to my family or to my husband, or I'm not loved enough by my family or my husband. That might be the impossible thing that you feel like. You may not feel like anything in your life gives you complete and total joy. You may not feel at peace with the way that things are in your life. You may be mustering up everything it takes just to have kindness to the people around you or to experience kindness yourself from others. You may be having a hard time being a good and faithful servant, to your job, maybe to your family, maybe to yourself.
0: And you and you need, what you really need, I mean, if we're going to use sort of a churchy language here, yep. we need the fruits of the Spirit to, yep. to do these things. Like, uh, do you have the fruits of the Spirit open there? I do. Why don't you just read those real quick?
1: So Happy. the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control. And the thing is that all of these things are really behind. Those are those words are what are behind our new year's resolutions. That's we're really true. looking for self-control. We're looking for love. We're looking for joy in our life. We're looking for blessings and we're looking f- to feel like our life has meaning. And the the outcome of these things is actually an outcome of dependence. And that's what we talk about here is how do we live a dependent life where the outcome of that life is the fruit of the Spirit?
0: Yeah, this, this is a crucial point here, I think, that um, we, we, we're just not awake to, we're blind to this. We say, these are the fruits of the Spirit. What we mean when we say that is, these are the things I need to try harder at.
1: Try harder to get better at.
0: Right. And, and it, it's, it's our default setting. So if we say the word self-control, Am- I
1: need more discipline in exactly
0: my life. we immediately go to I, I need greater strength of self control we're actually betraying the true meaning of the word fruit because a fruit is the produce of something it it happens naturally if you plant or graft or pare down a a apple tree and it gets all of the nutrition that it needs it will do what apple trees do it will produce fruit so when, when we hear fruits of the Spirit, what that really means is that we have a certain kind of relationship with the Spirit of Jesus that allows fruit to grow naturally in our lives, and that fruit is exactly the kind of fruit that we need to change our life, to, to transform patterns in our life that are destructive, to move into a healthier place mentally, emotionally, and physically that fruit will help us to do that but we don't get first things first we we think the fruit means we got to try harder at that instead of focusing where the focus really needs to be which is what kind of relationship with Jesus produces that kind of fruit where where does that start so there there is a a story an encounter between Jesus and a woman in Luke chapter 7 that we just Uh, spent an entire small group time last night. I have a small group that meets in my home on Tuesday nights, it's called Pursuing the Heart of Jesus, Not His Recipes, and last night we pursued this story in Luke chapter 7 just to understand and explore the context for and the details of this unusual and incredibly awkward encounter that Jesus has with a woman who is a known prostitute.
1: And it's probably not the story you would think that we ch- would choose to talk about self-discipline and routine changing.
0: Yes, but here she is. Here's this woman who's locked into a cycle of a life that she hates and despises but can't get out of. And it's a life that now is, uh, is on display for everyone in the town. Everyone knows the dirty little secret of this woman. And she does something here in this story to change all that and uh, her life is completely transformed by the time she leaves this house in this encounter. So let me just read this to you, and then Becky and I will talk about it a little bit. It's in Luke chapter 7, it starts in verse 36, and in my Jesus-centered Bible, the uh, subsection here is is titled, Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. How'd you like that to be your name? Oh, there's the sinful woman walking by. So here's the story. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. By the way, as I read this, I'd like you to pay acute attention to all of the details in this story. Like, in every sentence, there's an important detail, like this one. A Pharisee asked Jesus to have dinner with him, a a respected religious leader's asking Jesus to be his honored guest at this dinner. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there— She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. And by the way, I said this to the young people in our group last night, Um, often when we read Jesus answered uh, his thoughts, we think, oh, Jesus can read people's thoughts. But we know in multiple occasions he was amazed and astonished by what people said. He's not going around reading people's thoughts. Uh, What he's doing is paying peculiar attention to the people around him, and he can see exactly what Simon is thinking, just like you or I can if we pay close attention to people. So Jesus answered his thoughts and he said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Well, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, he turned to the woman. He's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. Just picture this in your head. So he says to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, She has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, "'Your sins are forgiven.'" the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, now he's not answering them, (laughs) he's still focused on the woman, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Okay, so this story, I think it's important to just slow down and understand the context and what's really going on here. What stuck out to you in this story, Becky, as we are reading this?
1: Well, I was, as I was listening to this story, I was thinking about it in the context of setting a a goal for your life, you know, and and she could have gone out and said, okay, you know what, I'm done with this prostitution business. I need to make a plan. Uh, Step one, I need to find a new job. (laughs) Uh, Step two, I need to uh, establish some skills. Maybe I need to go back to school. I should look at Front Range Community College and see if they're taking applications. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's what we do. We sit down and we make a list. We say, all right, I have, to, I have to change my life, so I need to make a list. And there's nothing wrong with making lists. I make lots of them. This is how I get lots of things done. But the, the difference here is I was thinking about this in, in the context of she's changing her life. She is. Right now, she is changing her life, and she's not doing it in the way that we do things. She's doing it in the way that Jesus wants us to do things, where she is just surrendering. Mm. She's worshiping. She's giving full attachment to him and saying, I am done. Help me out of this.
0: Yeah, she's. I'd say in an overarching way, just commenting on what you just pointed out, she's getting first things first. She's not coming to this house so that Jesus can help her move into a new life. She's not even coming to get forgiveness for her sins. She never asks for that. Mm. She comes into a house where she doesn't belong, and somebody at our group last night said, how did she get in that house? Wasn't somebody guarding the door? And I said, you don't typically have to guard your door if you're a religious leader back then at a party full of religious leaders, the, the hoity-toity of the town. Yeah, no or, one would go there. No prostitute. Nobody
1: wants to hang out with those guys. You don't
0: have to guard the doorway <laughs> to, from prostitutes entering into your private party. That It just doesn't happen. So it's a shock to these people that she even enters the house. And one of the young people last night pointed out that she's really laying down her life because to do what she did is unheard of. It's it's atrocious. It's a violation. It's a trespass. She's not only could get in trouble, she could get in big trouble. And probably
1: I th- death. I mean, I think it, back then it could have been
0: Could have been depending on the egregiousness of this violation and what she does is she goes to the honored guest while everyone's in shock and starts weeping on his feet and kissing his feet and pouring this expensive perfume on his feet. And, wa- and, and it's a shock to everyone, but Jesus does not recoil from this. He receives it. He welcomes it even. One of the people said last night that it must be true that this woman had some kind of encounter with Jesus prior to this, because she risks everything to come and kneel before him. So something happened in her she had somehow been impacted, either directly or indirectly, by the person of Jesus. And something about her passion for him, something about the impact he had had on her life, drove her to risk everything and come to this home and do what she did. And really, another person pointed out last night, what she's doing is, is uh, what you might call adoration. She is at his feet, um, cleaning off his feet with her hair and and dousing them with this expensive perfume. And last night I asked, um, so uh, where did she get this perfume and how did she pay for it? And there was kind of an uncomfortable silence, and I said, that's right. It came from her profession. It came from turning tricks. That's how she got the money for that perfume. Another person pointed out, yeah, and um, she likely used that perfume in her profession— so that she had a good smell whenever she was with one of her clients, so she actually used this in her profession, and now she's using it on Jesus' feet, this expensive perfume. She's not only um, pouring out her life by showing up at this party, she's literally pouring out her life because of the money it took to buy this perfume in the first place. So she's, she's to your point, Becky, she's not primarily coming to Jesus so that her life can change. She's primarily coming to Jesus because she is overcome by his beauty and by the promise of who he is. There's something about him that has conquered her, and what she wants to do is honor him in a an like, uh, uncomfortably that, intimate way. That was the first thing that young people said last night about this encounter. The first thing I wrote up on our whiteboard last night that somebody said was, this was an uncomfortably intimate encounter. And, and you, can, you could probably make a bullet list of 20 ways that this was uncomfortable and awkward, and yet Jesus received it. He's the only one in the room who didn't recoil from her. So this first step into this is, is that we become conquered by the person of Jesus. And out of that um, becomes it comes what Becky is saying here, a deeper attachment to him. When our heart is captured by Jesus then our attachment to him grows deep, and when we're attached to him, his life comes flowing through us like a vine into a dead branch, the metaphor that Jesus loved to use about what he, how he sees our relationship. So when we become more deeply attached to him, this life flows up into our branch and then naturally produces fruit, the very same fruit that we need in order to change our life. So one of the questions I asked last night... Of the group, they had to pursue these questions in, in trios and then come back together as a group to share what they'd learned, and one of the questions I asked them was, what do you think the woman in this encounter said to her friends after she left this place about this encounter? Becky, what what do you think hmm. was going through her head? How, how What do you guess that she said to her friends about what this encounter was like for her?
1: Well, first of all, who were her friends?
0: <laughs> Other people in the trade.
1: Yeah. 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 So what is she saying? She's saying there's a freer life out there.
0: Yeah. Oh, and that's I just so good. found it. Hmm.
1: And you you can have it too. Yeah. You know, I mean if that's who her friends are, yeah. She's not going back to her Christian small group <laughs> to report back. <laughs> not yet.
0: She's going back to desperate people. She herself is a desperate person and she came only to to make a bold and courageous and raw expression of worship to Jesus, because he had captured her. But she did not come to say, Jesus, will you forgive my sins? That wasn't even on the table for her. She wasn't primarily concerned about what he could do for her. She was overcome by what she wanted to do for him in this moment, which is so powerful to me. And along the way, what does Jesus see? One of the questions I asked last night was, what is Jesus' basis for forgiveness? I mean, what he, he offered this woman for forgiveness when she didn't ask for it, so why did he decide to forgive her? And somebody last night pointed out, yeah, he didn't offer forgiveness to all the Pharisees just for the heck of it. He didn't enter the room and say, you're all forgiven. <laughs> Something the woman did, the posture, the act, the nature of what she was doing caused him to say, your sins are forgiven. And it's embedded in the parable that he tells Simon the Pharisee who invited him there, that if you've had a large debt canceled, of course you're going to love the person more because of the largeness of your debt. The dirty little secret there is we all have large debts, but self-righteous people who feel like they're on top of things and in control of things, and they, they refuse to admit that they're actually a broken mess inside, they, they think they have less that they owe, to Jesus.
1: I think that it was because of the risk.
0: Say, I think, say more about that. I
1: think that she, the daring and the risk that she took by walking into that room and doing what she was about to do, I think that when he saw that, what he saw was someone who was surrendered— who didn't care about what anyone else thought about her, or what kind of trouble she could have been in, because nothing was going to keep her from her Savior.
0: And I think you're absolutely true, but why would that lead him to forgive her sins? Why is that the basis upon which he decided to forgive her sins?
1: The action demonstrated more than the words would have. Hmm. The action was so daring, and it showed so much surrender that he knew he had captured her heart— and just saying, will you forgive me? Act- the action was already there. She didn't have to say it. He knew that he had captured her, and that's what he was after.
0: Here's the here's the incredible, um, shocking truth about this that flows out of what you just said, Becky. He says in in verse forty seven, the reason that he's forgiving her sins, and he and he recognizes she's had many sins is that she has shown him much love. Mm. So he recognizes what she's doing is an authentic expression of love, of giving up my life in every way for you. And in a way, what she does is she she comes in and cleans Jesus's feet in the most raw and beautiful way you can imagine. I mean, imagine any of us receiving this from a drug dealer in town, or a... a a known prostitute, or anyone that you would immediately think, well, that person's a mess, that person's got a lot of sin in their life, and they just enter into a party where they're not supposed to be, and they walk up to you, and they weep at your feet and clean your feet off, and everyone's shocked except for you. It's just not in our nature to do this, and yet Jesus did. So this woman is cleaning Jesus' feet, and his response—I just think this is so poetically beautiful—is to clean her. She cleans his feet, he cleans her wholly. If you remember in another place where um, at the Last Supper when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples, Peter says, you're not going to clean my feet. And Jesus says, well, then you can have no part of me then. And Peter says, okay, well, then don't just clean my feet, clean all of me. And Jesus says, no, no, all you have to do is clean the feet, and you're wholly clean then. That's all you have to do, and that's all I'm going to do. So think about that relative to this story. The woman cleans his feet, and that's all she has to do. Jesus cleans her completely from her sin, Mm. and she leaves that home unburdened and clean for the first time in her life.
1: That is such a good segue into how this relates back to what we're doing right now, which is we're evaluating, we're making goals, we're making plans, and maybe you need to take a second look at those. If you've already written them out, maybe you need to go back and say, Jesus, what part of this is my responsibility? What part of this is just cleaning my feet? And what part of this is actually for you to do? Mm-hmm. And and just kind of reevaluate how much pressure you're putting on yourself because it's always... We always have a tendency to put more pressure on ourselves than he's actually putting on us.
0: Yeah, our friend Steph earlier today said something I thought was really profound that's still sticking in my head. She's trying to she's trying to be honest about the integration of her life between her discipline, her dependence on Jesus. Um, all the, she's a very highly disciplined person, so she's trying to live a more authentic life with the spirit of Jesus. So that instead of her disciplines and her routines and, her, and her, uh, all of the, the kind of the repeated patterns she set up in her life, she's trying to slow down, stop, and ask the Spirit of Jesus, what do you want me to do? And what would it be like to, instead of brainstorming your goals, to, a- to invite Jesus into that, to ask him to help you understand what he wants you to pick up and what he doesn't, and it might not be what you think.
1: I I loved what she said was um, we were talking about the joggers and the people eating the the weed salads that not that kind of weeds, like the salad that is real salad, but looks like weeds. Um, And she was saying, what if what if you told Jesus, I'm not going jogging one more time unless you change my heart about it? I'm not going to—if I hate this so much, I'm not going to do it. Uh, what I need is for you to change my heart, and I, I need you to make me love running. If that's what you want me to do, make me love running and make me love salad in the middle of winter.
0: That's so good.
1: And if if that's not—if he's not going to do that, then maybe he doesn't want you to eat salad in the middle of winter. He wants you to have soup that's healthy. And
0: the key to this— not healthy. The key to this is to experiment in your relationship with him in the sense that— that Jesus is not offended by this kind of thing. He wants to be in close relationship around these things. And if, and if he is offended by something you say, he'll let you know it, <laughs> because he's a good friend. You know, I, I was t- uh, telling Becky earlier today that over break, my daughter's a runner, and uh, I, I offered one day, I said, how about if I go running with you? I'll run the first two miles. I know you're going farther, but I'll run the first two miles. And I've done this many, many times with my daughter. So we took off running in our neighborhood. It's so a cold afternoon, and I got about, oh, I, I'm, I, I'm probably a half mile in at the top of a really difficult hill, and inside I realized, oh, I just don't have it emotionally today. Running is really very dependent on your emotional uh, strength because it's a hard thing to push through, and I didn't have it that day emotionally. And I got to the top of the hill, and I had to make a decision. Am I going to push through, or am I going to stop and walk for a little bit and let my daughter run ahead of me? And in that moment, I I had a kind of a brief encounter with Jesus, and I just said, what do I do? And he said, you know what, Rick, it's okay to walk. (laughs) So I just called out to Lucy, I said, you run ahead, I'm gonna walk for a little bit, and I'll try to catch up. So that happened five times on a two-mile run. It's never happened to me before. I just didn't have it that day. But what was profound for me is that what Jesus was saying is, today, it's fine, just walk, be kind to yourself. Tomorrow... He might say, Push through this today. It's important for you to push through today. What's the common thread between those two is, is, it, is what Becky has said multiple times during the podcast today it's a dependent relationship. I'm offering it to him. So, another thing that you can think about as you head into your resets, whatever they are, is that your mindset is toward uh, moving toward greater intimacy with Jesus, knowing him better. That's a simple way to put it. Just knowing him better,
1: and and look for outcomes that are outcomes of the Holy Spirit working through you, where where you are not doing all the heavy lifting. You feel the Spirit is is guiding you and leading you, and that the outcome of that is that you start to feel the fruits of the Spirit. And if you, you know, Galatians is a great um, is a great book. If you've never read it, or if it's been a while from for since you've read it, um, the fruits of the Spirit are in. Galatians chapter 5, and it starts out, the, the beginning of that cha- chapter says, freedom in Christ. And so much of our goal setting is not always about freedom. It's about doing hard things that we don't really want to do, that we actually hate. And so looking for freedom is, is about following the Spirit and then seeing the outcome of that not be about our efforts, but about the efforts He's doing through us. And the
0: freedom, the freedom we're talking about here is the same freedom the woman experienced at the feet of Jesus— she was utterly free because she, we know this because she risked everything to do this and continued to do it anyway. Even when she knew what the people around her were thinking and what might happen to her, she did it anyway. She had experienced freedom already from Jesus. Jesus then sealed the deal by cleaning her completely from her sin. This is the kind of freedom that he's talking about it's the freedom of being captured by him. And when you ha- when you are free in, the, in your attachment to Him, and your dependence to Him, this is not about gritting your teeth and bearing down and just making it happen. It really is a fruit. Uh, Steph earlier today was talking, to, I love this dichotomy that she brought up. This will be our last kind of uh, practical thing to take away from this today, but she brought up this dichotomy between players and pushers. She was talking about uh, fitness, and she goes to a lot of... I think YouTube channels that that focus on fitness Instagram Instagram stuff like that and there's she noticed there's two kinds of people that lead these things some are pushers people that just push you and push you and push you and some she she said it's clear they're having fun doing this and I said well how did you know how do you know they're having fun and she she paused for a second and said it's just obvious by the way they talk and the tone of their voice their body language that they're approaching this very hard thing in an attitude of playfulness, and I think that is a, a very spirit-dependent way to face the difficult things we're facing or to move through the change, difficult changes we're moving through in a playful spirit, not a pushing spirit. It's like, a, a, I love watching Bear Grylls, the, the survival expert, he's had various iterations of TV shows over the years, but his defining characteristic, I think, is his playfulness. He's able to invite people into doing the hardest things they've ever done, but because of his playful attitude in the midst of those hardships, they embrace the hardship, and he's a genius at lightening the load of the hard thing, because he approaches it all playfully. And it just reminds me of um, when somebody asked the great theologian Dallas Willard just before his death, if he had one word to describe Jesus, what would it be? And Dallas Willard said, relaxed, and I think he nailed it. Jesus is the most relaxed person who ever lived, who ever walked the earth, and he's relaxed, and re- relaxed is also a version of playfulness. There's, he, there's nothing deep and tense on the line for him, even when he's facing the most difficult things. So these are just some thoughts to kind of recalibrate your reset this year as you start to think about, uh, and I hope what we've done is... Bring up some questions in your mind about what your path forward is this year. Of course, we want transformation. Of course, we want areas of our life to be reset. But where does the grit come from to do these things? In the end, it comes from our intimate attachment to Jesus. That's the first thing first.
1: And so, of course, this is going to be a, you know, we're going to be focusing the podcast on grit this year and um so this is your first thing is attachment to Jesus what does that look like in your life today if you are interested if you're, if this is your first time or you've been listening for a while and you're just ready to go all in um with us we have a private facebook group called the pigs group um that the pigs is from chapter 5 of jesus centered life called living a pig life um it's because a pig gives everything for the meal but a chicken only gives the egg And so these are people who go all in for Jesus, and they also go all in for each other. It's such a supportive environment. There's lots of talk about why Jesus said this or why he did it this way and um, movies and songs that remind them of Jesus and just lots of great discussions. I know a lot of people are doing the Jesus-Centered Bible reading plan together in the Pigs group this year. They just started, um, so it's not too late. If you don't have a copy of the Jesus-Centered Bible, to pick up one of those, and in the back there's a reading plan for the year. We would love for you to join. Um, Also, we did sell out of Jesus Center Planners. It's like impossible to find one now. I think there's one on sale on Amazon for $3,000 if you're so inclined. (laughs) Um, But we do have a downloadable PDF of the entire planner that's for sale that you could put into a binder if you still wanted to get one of those. Um, It's on sale right now for $6.99, so it's a great deal, but you do have to come up with your own binding situation and print it out yourself. Thank you for joining us for the second episode, but the first new one of the year. Yay! Yay!
0: Remember, gang, you can find out more information about everything we talked about today, and Be- Becky mentioned a couple of links she's going to put on there. You can f- uh, find those links and further detail about this episode on the JesusCenteredLife.com website. Just find our podcast section. You're looking for Season 3, Episode 2. Again, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from LifeTree. Subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts, and we'll talk again next time.
1: Bye.